0: So we are now continuing in this Advent series through the first two chapters of Luke, and fittingly so, on Christmas morning, we come to Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20, the birth of Jesus. So please turn with me to Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20. Here now, the eternal living word of God. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius, Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This is the word of the Lord. So it's only on average once every seven years that we have Christmas on a Sunday. And it's a privilege to come before God on Christmas Day to worship him. Now, as I mentioned last week, we have so many things to enjoy about Christmas. The hymns, the food, the time with our family and friends, the traditions in the church and in our families and for the children, the presents. And as much as we as a church spend a lot of time this season remembering that Christmas is truly about Jesus, we'll remember the incarnation and all that it means for us. But ultimately, Christmas is about good news. That is, Christmas is about the gospel. The word gospel simply translates as good news, but we don't want it to sound trivial. We don't want the good news of the gospel to be thought of that it can be compared in any way to any other type of good news. As one contemporary Christian song puts it, it's the best news ever. And so ultimately, Christmas is about the gospel, the good news that Jesus brings. And this gospel should permeate every aspect of our lives as Christians, and that includes Christmas. So in our passage this morning, we'll look at Luke's account of the birth of Christ, and we'll see three aspects of the gospel that are proclaimed in the birth of Jesus. First is that the gospel is good news of great joy. Second is the gospel is good news of God's salvation. And third, the gospel is good news of God's glory and peace. And so as we said, fittingly, on Christmas morning, we come to the birth account of Jesus. And Luke, once again, as a historian, begins by setting the historical context. In verse 1, he writes, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. So this took place in the days of Caesar Augustus, who, who was an emperor that was so powerful he was considered to be a god. He had the power to collect taxes in all the places where the Roman army ruled, which include throughout the Mediterranean. At the word of his decree for a census, people thousands of miles away had to return to their hometown to be registered, most likely for the purpose of taxes. And so this is where the story of the birth of Jesus begins, with a decree from Augustus Caesar, calling everyone to return to their hometown to register for a census. And we read starting in verse 4, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. So Joseph and Mary were from the town of Nazareth, and that's where they were. This is where the angel Gabriel visited Mary. And when this decree went out, you you wouldn't want to disobey Caesar. So Joseph took pregnant Mary with him on a 70 mile journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And this would have been quite a journey. It would have been a bit dangerous. They most likely would have encountered wild animals and thieves. But Joseph, being of the house and the lineage of David, had to return to his hometown, David's hometown of Bethlehem. Luke has mentioned this before. He mentioned that Joseph was of the house of David when the angel Gabriel visited Mary. And he's repeating it because its significance can't be overstated. Because Joseph is of the line of David, Jesus, his adopted son, is also of the line of David. Therefore, Jesus is an heir to the throne of David. He is to be born a little baby king. And this fulfills not only the promise that Jesus is the Messiah, would be a descendant of David, but also that the Savior would be born in Bethlehem. Jesus, as the fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises, is born in Bethlehem as a son of David, as promised. Now, one of the things that most likely wouldn't have been missed by a first century reader is the contrast between Caesar Augustus and Jesus Caesar Augustus was the most powerful man in the world at the time. He had the ability to tax people who lived thousands of miles away. And he could send them to report all the way back to their hometown for the purpose of these taxes by the word of his command. But this little baby that was born in Bethlehem is a much different kind of king. He was born in a much different setting. Caesar Augustus, whose name was Octavian was born into the royal family of the Roman Empire. He was the great nephew of Julius Caesar. Not exactly what you would call humble beginnings. And as the emperor of Rome, his earthly power and his status was unparalleled in his day. On the other hand, Jesus was born in poverty and obscurity. We read of his birth starting in verse 6. And while they were there, that is, while Joseph and Mary were in Bethlehem, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Arriving in Bethlehem, Joseph and Mary couldn't find room in the formal place for travelers to stay in the inn, most likely from all the people returning to Bethlehem for the census. But this meant that the King of Glory, Jesus, the Christ, was born in a manger. He was born in a feeding trough for animals. He was born in a place for animals, not even a place for humans. And so we see in the humble beginnings of Jesus, the Son of God born in a place that we wouldn't assume fit for anyone, let alone the eternal King of Glory. He was born in a place for animals. And this was no accident. It wasn't a mistake. God chose a lowly, humble status to send his son into the world to save his people. The son of God, even becoming human, was to humble himself. And so he did so in the most humble of ways. J.C. Ryle commented on this. He said that we see here the grace and condensation of Christ. Had he come to save mankind with royal majesty? surrounded by his father's angels, it would have been an act of undeserved mercy. Had he chosen to dwell in a palace with power and great authority, we should have had reason enough to wonder. But to become poor, as the very poorest of mankind, and lowly, as the very lowliest, this is a love that passes knowledge. It is an unspeakable and unsearchable. Christ modeled for us humility on earth and exaltation in heaven. Our hearts often seek status and recognition in the world. We want to be recognized by other people. But the way of Christ is to humbly deny recognition among men. To humble yourself in the world, considering the needs of others rather than your own needs. And this leads to being exalted by the Father in heaven. Now Luke's story of the birth of Jesus continues into the fields with shepherds. He writes, starting in verse 8, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. In the same region, on the same evening, There was a group of shepherds out in the field watching over their sheep in the night. And an angel appeared to them. And when he did, the glory of the Lord shone around them. In the dark night sky out in the field, the shepherds saw this bright burning light all around them. That is the glory of the Lord. And they had what would be a natural reaction to this. They were filled with great fear. And then the angel responds to them, announcing the birth of Christ. He said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The shepherds were sort of outcasts in their society. They lived in the fields. They were, they were unable to keep the ceremonial law, and they were therefore considered unclean. But in Luke's gospel, these outcasts were the recipients of the greatest news of all. Out in the field watching the animals, the angel brought them the good news of the birth of Jesus Christ. He said, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And this is the first aspect of the gospel that's proclaimed in the birth of Christ. The gospel is good news of great joy. Now this great joy is not only for Joseph and Mary, it's not only for the shepherds in the field, but the gospel is good news of great joy for all the people. And that is ultimately what Christmas is about. Good news of great joy for all people. Because all people are sinners. And the birth of the Savior brings about a different kind of joy. Now on Christmas, every year, I have the joy of watching all six of my children open their presents. This morning was especially joyful. My youngest child, Marigold, who's now two years old. This was the first year she really understood that the presents she was opening were for her. And so it was a joy for me to see her in this, and really to see all of them opening their presents. There was just so much joy in the room. But the gospel is a different kind of joy because the joys of this world, are fleeting. And take the children open their presents, for example. The peak moment of joy for them is actually the moment of opening the presents. And from there, their joy kind of rapidly depreciates. Within a few days, most of the toys will be spread in some corner of the house, probably broken, never to be played with again. And actually, it only takes a few hours, if not minutes, and they're going to be fighting over the toys, screaming at each other and crying. All the joy of opening their presence gone. No joy in this world lasts. But the joy of the gospel is an unfading joy. Nothing can diminish it, nothing can replace it. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of salvation, never loses its value. Now, there are many things that can distract us from this joy. Life is difficult, there's illness. Death, disease, crime, hardships, broken relationships. There are so many things that pull our attention away from the great joy of the good news of the gospel. But it's always there. We can always come back to it. That's why I preach it week in and week out. That's what makes Christmas so amazing for Christians. I love that Christmas is on a Sunday this year. So we can gather together Saturday evening for Christmas Eve to hear the gospel then come together less than 24 hours later Sunday morning to hear the gospel proclaimed again so we can put off our distractions. We can be filled once again with the great joy that is the salvation we have in Jesus Christ. There's nothing we can do to earn our salvation, but there's nothing we can do to lose it either. So we can remember, and you can remember, when you're sick, when you're tired, when you're frustrated, when you're angry, When the things of this world have lost their joy, remember the joy of the gospel. Remember the joy that is the good news that sinners like you and I can be saved from our wretchedness. That you're saved by the God of glory himself coming as a newborn baby to live the life you could never live and to die on your behalf. This joy is an eternal joy. It's a joy that you have with you for eternity. So remember on this Christmas day that the birth of Jesus Christ proclaims the good news of great joy for everyone. Then the angel gives this message of the good news in verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The birth of a Savior is good news of great joy, but so is the identity of this Savior. The, the angel says of the Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The word Christ simply comes from the Greek word for Messiah. The angel is saying that the Savior that brings good news of great joy for all people is the long-promised Messiah. God had promised for centuries that He would bring about a Messiah, a Savior for His people. And the angel is telling the shepherds that this day has come. The Messiah is here, and this is good news of great joy for all people because this Messiah is to save people from all nations, not just Israel. But the second title here, the Lord, stands out a little bit more in the original language. The word translated as the Lord is a Greek word, kurios. And it's important because throughout the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint, The proper name of God, the Hebrew word Yahweh, God's covenant name, his personal name is always translated in Greek as Kyrios. And the New Testament writers frequently use it this way. Luke had already used the word Kyrios to mean the Lord or Yahweh a few dozen times, or at least a dozen times in the first two chapters. He does it right here in the same chapter. In verse 9 it says, the angel of the Lord. That's the word Kyrios. Again, in verse 9, the glory of the Lord. Again, curios. Clearly, Luke is using curios to represent God. And we intuitively know this. When we read phrases like the angel of the Lord, the glory of the Lord, we know that the Lord is referring to God. Because in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word Yahweh is always translated in English as the Lord. And in Greek, Yahweh's always translated as curious, And so Luke is choosing his language here to reveal something astounding, that God's Messiah, God's Christ, is God himself. When he's saying Christ the Lord, he's saying Christ, Yahweh, God, the God of Israel, the God of all creation is the baby boy that was born in a manger in Bethlehem. Jesus is the eternal son of God come into the world as a helpless human baby. And on Christmas, you have the opportunity to confess this foundation of the gospel, that God himself came into the world to save you. And this is the second aspect of the gospel proclaimed in the birth of Christ, that the gospel is the good news of God's salvation. This morning, we come together to worship God, the God of the Bible, The God who is one God in three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And these three are one God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. And the amazing truth that the angel proclaimed to these shepherds is that there was a baby probably just a few miles away from them that was not only God's long-awaited Messiah, the Savior of the world, but this little baby was actually God in the flesh. He was the Lord, Yahweh himself. He's the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, who is fully God in power and glory. And he came into the world to provide salvation to sinners. The work of salvation is completely the work of God. God came into the world as a human being because only God could save sinners. None of the people throughout the history of the Bible could save you. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob couldn't save you. Moses and Joshua couldn't save you. All the judges couldn't save you. David, Solomon, the kings of Israel couldn't save you. All of the prophets couldn't save you. Not even John the Baptist because every one of them was a sinner. They were all sinners themselves. Therefore, God had to do it. The only way to have the perfectly righteous sacrifice is a substitute for all the sins of sinners was for God to come as a human and do it for us. The incarnation and ultimately the sacrificial death and resurrection was God's plan from the beginning. And even more astounding is that although we've all rejected God in Christ, He loves you so much that He sent His Son to die for you. He sent you His Holy Spirit to give you a new heart, to bring about faith in you so that you no longer reject Him so that you will have faith, that you will choose him and love him. Salvation is completely the work of God, and the beginning of this is the birth of the Savior, who is Christ, the Lord, who is God in the flesh. Jesus is the only one that was ever able to save sinners because he was the only one that was ever both God and man. Jesus had to be God because only God could live a perfectly sinless life. Only God could take on all of the sins of his people on himself over all of time. No other person could ever have done this. Actually, you and I, even the greatest person that ever lived, could only add to the problem by sinning more. But it was also important that Jesus was fully human because only as a human could he die. Jesus had to take on human flesh to live both a perfect human life. He had to be born under the law as a man so he could fulfill the law on our behalf and also to die in our place. So in the incarnation, Jesus becoming the God-man, this is the foundation for all of salvation. It's the starting place that even makes salvation possible. So when you remember the birth of Jesus, remember that the gospel is the good news of God's salvation for all who believe in Jesus, this Jesus, who is Christ the Lord. So after telling the wonderful good news, the angel told the shepherds how they could find this baby. Verse 12, he says, "And This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. They'll know which baby is the Savior, Christ the Lord, because he'll be the only one wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Then in verse 13 he said, And suddenly there was was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. The angel was joined by a multitude of angels, This is really like an immeasurable and an incountable number of angels singing in the presence of these shepherds. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And the chorus of angels gives us a third aspect of the gospel proclaimed in the birth of Christ. That the gospel is the good news of God's glory and peace. The phrase glory to God in the highest may be... More commonly known in the Latin translation, Gloria in excelsis Deo. Because the arrival of the Savior is the good news of great joy. Because this salvation is completely the work of God, the angels give glory to God. And God's glory is revealed at its highest magnitude in the coming of his Son. The Son of God in the flesh reveals God's glory in a way that was hidden before, but now is revealed. The birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus reveals the fullness of God's glory. Glory to God in the highest because we know more of God's nature now in the Trinity. We know of the miracle of the Incarnation. We know how God will fully punish the sins of his people, but at the same time show them grace and mercy. Everything God does is for his glory. and the birth of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ reveals the glory of God. The more you learn about God, Jesus, the gospel, the word of God, the more it takes root in your heart, the less glory you will give to yourself, the more glory you will give to God. And so the birth of Jesus Christ proclaims the good news of God's glory. But also, the angel says, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The peace here, God's peace, is is really a wholeness. His peace is for those with whom he is well pleased. God says he is well pleased with his son, Jesus, at his baptism. And so those with whom he is pleased are those who receive his son. The birth of Jesus, the coming of Christ into the Lord, was for the glory of God, but also for the good of humanity. The peace that Jesus brings into the world is God's peace, the shalom of God. It's a full peace, an inner peace that comes from a wholeness of personal well-being. So this baby Savior will bring the peace of a right relationship with God and a restored righteousness to God's people. He brings the peace of God's favor upon you. Through Jesus, God's glory is magnified to the highest degree, through Jesus, God's peace comes to people on earth. That is, people of all nations, tongues, and tribes. And so the birth of Christ proclaims the gospel of great joy, the gospel of God's salvation, and the gospel of God's glory and peace. And so after this the, the, after this magnificent scene with the angels proclaiming God's glory, the shepherds then immediately say we have to go see this baby. In verse 15, Luke writes that when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. So the shepherds know that it was the Lord that was making this known to them. Again, the word curious. The Lord had revealed to them everything concerning this baby so they wanted to go see him. They knew this was from God. In verse 16, it says, And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So the shepherds found the holy family, and they told them everything the angel told them. And everyone wondered, or everyone was in awe at what the shepherds revealed to them. Mary treasured and pondered these things in her heart, and then the shepherds returned home to the field, glorifying and praising God, because everything they were told was true. And so the response of these shepherds is really the response of everyone who hears the gospel and believes. First, they heard the word of God concerning Jesus, but just hearing isn't enough. They also believed. They knew that it was real. The incarnation is real. Jesus was really born fully God and fully human. The eternal word of God incarnate was a baby who came to save sinners, And bring them the peace of God all to the glory of God. And upon believing these shepherds glorified and praised God, hearing and believing the gospel will bring about a true worship. So for all of you, as you go through the rest of your Christmas day, the rest of your week, into the new year, let the magnitude of the birth of Christ be on the forefront of your heart and mind. Because the joy of the good news of Jesus Christ is a joy that never fails. It's an eternal joy that through faith in Jesus Christ, you'll have this joy in eternity, in the new heavens, and the new earth. No matter what difficulties this life may bring, no matter what sorrows you have to go through in this broken world, the gospel is the good news of great joy. Because not only are your sins forgiven, Are you made right with God, but you receive all the blessings of Christ? And one day, you'll be with him in glory for eternity, experiencing nothing but the joy and peace of his glory. Because of this baby Jesus, this Christ the Lord, because of his life, death, and resurrection that he did out of love for you, you will have the ultimate joy and peace for eternity as you experience the fullness of of God's glory. And so may you respond to this greatness, this great news of great joy, the same way that the shepherds, as they return, as you return home today, glorifying and praising God, worshiping him in your life because of the great joy and peace that has been given through salvation that only Jesus can provide. Share it with everyone in your life because this good news of the gospel is for everyone who believes. So for those of you that have faith in Christ, may this gospel continue to transform your heart, that you continue to do these things, glorifying and praising God for his gift of salvation. But if there are any of you that are still wondering about Jesus, you've heard these truths maybe many times, but you haven't been changed by them. If so, God is calling you through this message That just over 2,000 years ago, God sent His Son into the world so that all who believe in Him may be saved. Put your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation through the forgiveness of your sins. This Jesus Christ, the Lord, is the only way to salvation. He's the only way to the peace and joy of God in your life. Believe in Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning to praise you, worship you, to be in the presence of your glory. We remember all the great and wonderful things you have done throughout the ages, sending your Son, Jesus Christ, into this world, to come into this world, to show us your love for us, to save us and redeem us from the sin and wickedness In our hearts. Lord, we know that we love you because you loved us first. May we be a beacon of your light in this world. May we continue to remember the joy of the good news of the gospel. May we remember that the birth of your son is the greatest news we could ever hear, that our salvation is completely your work. And may we have the joy and peace in our hearts that only you can bring. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.